This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Laura Vanderkam is the author of Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done, as well as several other time management and productivity books, including I Know How She Does It, How Successful Women Make the Most of Their Time, and What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. She co-hosts, along with Sarah Hart Unger, the wonderful podcast, Best of Both Worlds. Her TED Talk, How to Gain Control of Your Free Time, has been viewed more than six million times. She lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband and four children, all under 10 years old. In this episode, we talk about how people perceive the amount of time that we have, how spending time with family and friends affects our perceptions of time, the importance of scheduling daily, quote, vacations, and ways to savor the good moments in order to expand our sense of time. Laura describes some of the surprising findings from her research on people who keep time logs, tracking their time. And she offers some very useful, some practical tips for how, how we can spend our time not only to be more productive, but to enjoy life more. So now, take the time to listen to and learn from one of the world's leading experts on time and how you can spend yours more wisely and so do the things you really want to do. It's Laura Vanderkamp. Laura, welcome. Thank you so much for having me and for having my son sitting out in the, outside the sound booth. Uh, he was with me tonight, so it's glad he could see what I do. It's great to have you both here. So you were writing about business and economics. How and why did you make the shift to how people manage their time at home, at work, in the different parts of their lives? Well, I've always been fascinated by time. I mean, it's the ultimate common denominator. Some people have more money or other advantages, but we all have the exact same amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. So it's fascinating to see what people do with it. Um, but, you know, for the purposes of, of this show, I mean, it's, I became really interested in this topic when I became a parent for the first time mm-hmm. um, in 2007. And as anyone who has children knows, they can do a number on your time in terms of how you are spending it. It changes Mm -hmm. a lot. And so I was trying to figure out, well, how do I continue to do the writing work that I'm passionate about and do that at a level I want to do while also being the parent I want to be and maintaining time for my own personal pursuits? How can I make that all fit? And so I began studying people who seem to have figured it out and see what can I learn from them? What can we all learn from them? And so Mm -hmm. that's really been what all my books are about. 
What before we get into the details of Off the Clock, which is a fabulous book that I am now deep into and learning so much from, uh, in, in your studies this last 10, 12 years or so, what's the big idea? What's the most important element of the body of knowledge you've accumulated about time? I really do believe that most of us have more time than we think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we walk around with this story about how busy we are, you know, that we're working insane and increasing hours, that we never sleep, that we have no time for ourselves. Um, we have no time to you know, do any of our, our personal passions or to look after our health. And if you really look at the data, I don't think that's actually true. I've seen thousands of time logs over mm-hmm. the years. Mm-hmm. Um, most people including turn out, your own. including my own, and I, I'm guilty of many of these things as well. I say people in general tend to overestimate how much they work. I find out that I overestimate how much I work. Why is that? Um, I think it's a couple reasons. One is, you know, not everyone probably everyone has some parts of work that they're not thrilled about, right? And Mm -hmm. things that we don't want to do tend to seem longer than the things that we do want to do. And you're Mm -hmm. stuck in a meeting you don't want to be in, it seems absolutely endless. You can be counting the Mm -hmm. minutes. That's that's one reason it seems big. But I think another reason, and and this kind of gets into some of the, the material in Off the Clock, is that work hours tend to be intentional. Like you've thought about what you want to do with them. Uh, You've thought about, well, these are the things I need to do today at work. This is roughly how the day will go. You know, this at the end of the day, if I've done something, this is what it will have looked like. People don't do that necessarily for their personal lives. And because of that, be intentional about it. And because of that, the time seems to sort of slip through your fingers. You, You don't spend it in ways that would be memorable, that would sort of stand out in the mind. And because of that, it seems to shrink. So we have a a misperception about our own experience that is born of our focusing more on the things that we're intentional about and more of those are at work than in other parts of our life? I think that's true. I think that our, you know, we do focus on those things that we have thought through, thought about what we're going to do. Uh, I mean, just the math, I, I you know, like to do these numbers for people that there's 168 hours in a week. So a full-time job is 40 hours. Um, if you're sleeping eight hours a night, that's 56 hours in a week. So a full-time job, 40 hours plus 56 hours for sleep would leave 72 hours for other things, which mm-hmm. is almost double the amount of time that a person with a normal full-time job would work. And yet, you talk to anyone with a full-time job, they don't think that they have twice as much waking, non-working time as they are at work. Uh, Well, why is that? Why don't people think that? Because they're frittering it away. Well, that may play into it. (laughs) Well, all right. So off the clock, what does that mean? What does it mean to be off the clock? Well, uh, I know a lot of listeners have probably had jobs that you punch in and punch out of. Uh, I certainly had a number of these sort of restaurant jobs as a teenager um, where I'd punch out and I was this the sense of liberation. I am off the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, my life has obviously changed a lot since those days in terms of the kind of work I do. But that sense of time freedom. When you are in control of your time, mm-hmm. uh, you have that autonomous sense about it. Um, sometimes it means having no immediate obligations. Uh, sometimes it means that you have some really wonderful thing that you've planned coming up, but it's all your own choosing. You're very excited about it. But it's that sense that you're not going to have to do anything that you don't want to do. Uh, and obviously that is a sort of rare and fleeting feeling <laughs> for many people. Mm-hmm. It certainly is in, in my life. Um, but I've gotten better at constructing some days and in fact some you know sometimes it's less than that, of just hours of, of feeling like I do have that total control over my time and I'm doing what I want and doing what makes me happy. 
So, so the the goal here, if I have it right, uh, for is to experience all of your life as being off the clock, or is that is that too much of a stretch? Is that the ideal, but the not not the realistic ideal? Or yeah, some some turn of phrase that you use. In the book. <laughs> Help me out with um, that. It is not realistic at all, um, but it doesn't have to be because you know most people we're going to have to work for a living. We're going to um, you know enjoy our time with our families, but our families also present some obligations that we have to deal with in terms of, you know, you're getting children to work or, you know, dealing with other people's medical appointments and various such things. Uh, there's, of course, going to be obligations, even if, you know, the people who have the obligations are also great sources of joy as well. So it's not going to happen all the time. But, you know, a lot of people walk around with this story that they have no free time whatsoever, that they have mm-hmm. no leisure time, that they have no time when they're not, you know, doing something that somebody else has demanded they do. And if you can get yourself even to a place where you have like an hour a day, seven hours a week where you feel like I'm doing what I really want to be doing. I feel in control of my time. I don't feel like I'm watching the clock. I feel off the clock and relaxed about my time. Yeah, that, that hour can take you through the other 23. How's that? How does that spill over? What happens in that hour that gives you the, uh, the energy, the will to persist in the face of all the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune? How does that work? Well, it is kind of the will to persist, but certain things energize us and certainly feeling off the clock, feeling that sense of autonomy about our time uh, is a very energizing thing. It is one of the key components of human happiness, this, this sense of um, being the, the captain of your own ship, as, as you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know... If you know you've got an hour coming up where, let's say, you really love to play the violin and you know you're going to spend an hour on that in the evening and no one's going to bother you during it, you're going to make it happen, like, you know, you you can be okay during that boring 2 o'clock meeting. You know you've got something fun you can look forward to. Hmm. So it gives you uh, a, a kind of hope for a time when you are indeed free. Yeah. And, you know, you, as you get maybe an hour a day, seven hours a week, you can look for ways to expand that feeling. Um, and, and certainly some people have gotten to the point where more of their hours feel that way. Uh, again, nobody's going to be 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, but uh, the more you can feel that way, the better. And certainly, you know, there are people in society who have more freedom than others, no matter how much, you know, how conscious they are about what, you know, about organizing their, their lives, their uh, their choices about how they invest their time and attention. Oh, right? of course. And, and certainly, you know, people have more resources than others, both, you know, financial and also support-wise. Um, but I would say that, you know, most people, and certainly people listening to this show, are probably in a position to have some time and to hopefully scale up that time through careful choices on how to spend their time. All right, let's let's get to how to do that. Um, so you've studied you've studied this issue intensively, and in Off the Clock, you write about the seven secrets. So we're probably not going to get to all of them. But uh, describe uh, in a nutshell uh, what these seven secrets of the people who have, quote, all the time in the world, as you say in the book, uh, how do they do it? Well, for Off the Clock, I had 900 people with full-time jobs and families track their time for a day. It was a normal March Monday. Um, They filled out what they were doing for the previous 24 hours, and then I asked them questions about how they felt about their time. Uh, Various questions such as, yesterday I felt present rather than distracted, or generally I have time for things I want to do, or... You know, yesterday I spent time with people who are important to me. And I could have people answer from you know, strongly disagree to strongly agree, mm-hmm. assign people a score, and then look at the difference between the schedules of people who felt like they had a lot of time 
and people who felt like they had very little time. So, you know, the top 20%, bottom 20%, top 3%, bottom 3%. One thing people may be curious about that was not different uh, was work hours. was not that different. Uh, they Almost everyone in the study worked somewhere between seven and nine hours on that March Monday, which makes sense. I mean, Mm -hmm. people with full-time jobs, that's pretty much what everyone's going to work. The people with the lowest time perception scores only worked about 18 minutes more than average. So a time perception score, define that? That was those questions of the 13 questions I asked on, you know, whether you felt present rather than just distracted, whether you felt like you had enough time. Low Low would be strongly disagree to a lot of those. They had one, you know on the one to seven point scale, strongly agree would be the seven. Um, so you could add it up, right? And and a high score represents what? Feeling like time is abundant, feeling like you generally have okay. time for the things you want to do. All right. And so and a low score that means the opposite. You're restrained. You're strained, you have... stressed, starved for time, rushed, harried, all those okay. negative words. So yes. work hours, same for both high and low uh, time. Not very far but... off each other, yeah. That's surprising. What else did you discover? Well, so this, the seven secrets sort of come out of what I could find, um, which is that, you know, people who feel good about their time, who feel uh, like they have a lot of time, tend to be very mindful of their time. Yes. And that's probably not a huge surprise that people are being intentional about where their time goes. But they had a easier time constructing the previous day. Like they knew where their time had gone. They had the sense of hmm. knowledge about it. Um, because they are reflective because about Because they are their reflecting. Time. And, and that was something that, that came up too. The people with the high time perception scores were far more likely to have engaged in uh, what I call reflective activities. So that's journaling, meditating, praying, whatever it is that has you step back from your life, mm-hmm. think about it, right? Think about where your life is going, how you feel about it. Are you happy about it? Are you not happy about it? Um, the people who felt uh, the most starved for time, you know, a lot of them never did those activities. Hmm. Uh, and so that is your first of the seven secrets. Yes, that, that to, to be mindful of your time. Yeah, be reflective. Um, one of the more surprising ones I found is that the people with the highest time perception scores were highly likely to have done something very interesting on that March Monday. Like they didn't just commute to work, work, commute, go home, watch TV, go to bed. Um, Many of them had done such things on a Monday evening as like go to a big band concert. That was on somebody's time log. Uh, Somebody went to salsa dancing lessons. Again, this is a Monday night. So we're talking music, music and dance. (laughs) Music and dance. Well, uh, a life fulfilled. Well, what it is, is that doing something interesting on everyone uh, in the sound booth is thumbs up, shaking their heads. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're thinking that, too, if you're listening. Yeah, it's it. Well, where is the music? Where's the music? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's it's more that doing something memorable with your time yes. makes you remember it. Mm. And when you remember mm. it, it feels more vast. And you also become in your mind the kind of person who has the time to go to a big band concert on a Monday night. And it's, again, that sense of autonomy, control um, that is part of time freedom. You refer to these as adventures. Adventures, right? yeah. Adventurous use of time. Adventurous so. use of time. And, and that's something people can do. Relatively easily. Uh, I'm not saying you have to go to a big band concert every Monday night, but you can do something out of the ordinary with your day. It's just, you know, take the family for a walk in a park after dinner as opposed to all watching TV together. Um, Or maybe we do that almost every day. Well, good for you. Yes. (laughs) It's, it's It's a long tradition in some societies, including in Europe, where, you know, both of my family, my wife and I's family, uh, families come from. 
after dinner, you know, a constitutional or a postprandial stroll. Yes. Uh, yeah, just talking uh, and walking is something. Anyway, that's that's an easy enough thing for most easy people enough to one. do. Uh, you know, eat somewhere different from where you normally eat for lunch or, you know, find a new colleague that you haven't talked to before and have a real conversation with that person. It makes the day memorable. But uh, I want to st- go back to the first one, to be being more mindful and reflective about your time. Now, just, I want to look, dig a little bit deeper into that one because I think it, you emphasize that as the first and I think most important one. Correct me if I'm wrong. How do people become more reflective, more mindful about the, the choices of their use of time? Well, uh, I personally have been tracking my time um, continuously for more than three years now. And I am not saying anyone else needs to do that because right. I know people will not. It does sound weird. It does sound a little bit weird, uh, but I you know, have a professional reason to do so. But I think, you also note, uh, note in the book that the time it takes for you to do that is really not very long oh, at all. No. It's like brushing your teeth. It's brushing my teeth. It's it's three minutes a day. So I, I brush my teeth without question, without feeling like I, I you know, limited in some way or uh-huh. trapped in this cycle of teeth brushing and can't get out. <laughs> if only I can stop this flossing. <laughs> if only I can stop. Or I don't, I don't floss on weekends because that would make me feel like I had no life. But these are things people ask me, like, do you stop tracking time on weekends? Like, well, it doesn't take any time. It's just a... A habit. And what does it give you? What does it bring to you? Um, the first thing it does is a sense of awareness about where my time truly mm-hmm. goes. I cannot harbor any more illusions about where my time goes, um, which even when I had just, you know, I tracked about a dozen weeks over the years. But in the past, I had always chosen very specific weeks to track, which were weeks when my life looked like the vision I had in my mind the of busy how the busy professional who is to doing important oh, work all and, the time. And, you know, reading the great books with my children and exercising a certain number of times per week in an appropriately varied fashion. It, these were that's how you want to see your life. Right. And mm-hmm. it turns out not every week is like that. <laughs> and when I started tracking time continuously, I began to see my work hour average was quite a bit lower uh, than I thought it was. Um, I spent a lot more time in the car. Than I thought I did. I normally work out of my home office when I'm not traveling for work. So Mm -hmm. time in the car wasn't even registering as a category. Like, I don't commute. Therefore, I must not have any time in the car. But it's not true. I'm in Mm -hmm. the car all the time. Um, I saw that I did have time to read. I had that first year, I think I read something like 326 hours, which is almost an hour a day. But I was reading a lot of stuff that wasn't worth reading. I mean, it was just forgettable magazine stories, headlines, And when I saw that, I was like, wow, I could have read War and Peace 10 times in that quantity of hours. Um, So maybe I should try reading something with a little bit more heft to it. So you made some choices about how you were going to use your time. And that's that's really the great benefit of of, uh, logging or tracking or diarying your time. It is. You get to see what, in fact, you're doing, not what you think you're doing. Yeah. And and like I said, nobody's going to do this for three years. But anyone can look back on the previous day. And ask yourself, well, you know, what worked? Like, what was good about mm-hmm. this day? Let me let me celebrate whatever worked. Um, what do I want to do more of with my time? Uh, thinking about anything that would like you'd like to have consumed more of your hours. Uh, what would I like to spend less time doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so things you want to trim, and then asking those two those questions: you know, What can I do in the next few days to make those changes? Um, and if you keep doing this day after day. Eventually, your life will start looking more like you wish it to do. I mean, you'll start finding ways to scale up the things you'd like to do, hopefully scale down the things you don't want to do. 
and just be happy about the things that are, in fact, working. I think this mindfulness is a great you know, way to celebrate the good stuff. So we've talked about – I mean, this is – it seems so easy when you describe it. And yet people, I'm sure, have difficulty engaging in that activity of, of reflecting on their time. At least many people that you studied did. What is it that holds people back from being smarter about the time that they spend? Well, I think, you know – Sometimes people have this sense that, oh, tracking my time will make me feel tied to the clock. And I don't like it. You know, I want to feel off the clock. Right. Uh, and and yet I feel that time discipline leads to time freedom. I, I would also tell people you only have to do it for like a week or even just a few days. Did it's you not say the time of- discipline leads to time freedom? Yes. What do you mean by that? I mean that in order to have these periods of time where you are relaxed, when you feel no moments of immediate obligation, you have to plan your life to make that possible. It is really hard to feel relaxed and like time is abundant if you know there's a deadline coming up the next morning and you haven't done what you need to to get to that. You are not going to be able to relax that night. Um, Or, you know, if you want to spend time just with no particular family obligations that you need to arrange for like childcare for your kids or, you know, for your partner to take your kids for a while, Uh, you know. These are all things that are logistically questions that you have to deal with. You have to be disciplined about your time to make Stuff happen. doesn't happen by magic. It does not happen by you magic. You can't wave a magic wand and say, ah, oh, I'm going to feel free this next hour. Now, you generally will have to do some. If you have a full, busy life, you're going to have to do something to make that happen. I, I'd like you to briefly describe what the other secrets are uh, that you observed in the people who uh, feel that time is abundant and they have all the time in the world. Well, one was to not fill time. Um, you not, may not be surprised. Not fill it. Well, you know, we fill our time with all sorts of things. Uh, it could be busy work. It could be checking our phones when we don't really need to. Uh, you'll probably not be surprised to learn that the people with the most abundant perspective on time in my study check their phones about half as frequently as the people who felt most stressed and starved for time. And again, everyone's equivalently busy, all full-time workers, families, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some people chose to get off their phones a little bit more frequently than others, and it had payoffs in terms of feeling more relaxed. Um, I tell people to practice the skill of lingering in good moments. It's a real skill to take a good moment and make that time expand in a way that it seems to be moving as slowly as a bad moment. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful if you could make some blissful moment seem as slow as a traffic jam? Uh, And, you know, it's hard to pull off, but if you're incredibly mindful during the time, if you plan it in and look forward to it so you can anticipate, and if you reflect on it afterwards and tell people about it, you can really expand the experience Can you give an example of that? Well, so one I did not long ago is... Um, I sing in my church choir, and we have a couple professional soloists who uh, make us sound a lot better than we really are. (laughs) This is a nice investment on the part of the church to to make this happen. Anyway, our alto soloist is amazing. I knew she was on the calendar to sing um, the Agnus Dei from Bach's B minor Mass, which is just an absolutely incredible alto solo. I've been in love with that piece forever. So I knew it was coming up. I put it on my calendar. I... Um, listed it as one of my personal priorities for the week. When I planned my week, I was like, listening to her sing this is going to be a personal priority. So I was really focused on it, knew it was coming up, you know, got myself to church. I'm sitting there. I'm like fully invested in it as it's happening, you know, just taking it all in, really being present during the moment. And then afterwards, I wrote about it. I wrote about it in my journal. I wrote about it on my blog. I told people about it. And the net result is I remember those four minutes. And there are a lot of four-minute chunks of my life that are gone, right? (laughs) 
I'd say most of mine. Most are. four minute chunks are gone, but I definitely remember her singing that. It was a, it was a real highlight. So, so by by preparing yourself for that time that you can anticipate, mm-hmm. you can you can help it help it feel like something bigger than it is. Is that different than savoring? Well, it's all part of savoring. So savoring and lingering are kind of the same. Um, Savoring is the word that people use for the psychological research on it um, that – you know how some a part of positive psychology. How do some people take good experiences and actively take steps to make them richer and last longer? And there are a lot of tools people use that exact you know what we're talking about: anticipating, reconstructing it afterwards, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. being fully present during the moment, talking about it with people who are there. You know, making sure they're seeing how amazing it is too. Uh, as you share that experience, it becomes bigger as well. Uh, so lots of different things you can do. Does that mean you have to tell the person next to you who's on their smartphone to stop doing that stop so that doing you can that. be present? Like, please stop playing that game on your smartphone and listen to this music because it's really amazing. Now, I mean, I'm not that kind of person, uh, but I could see doing it. <laughs> maybe you're that kind of person. Yeah, well, maybe some of our listeners are. I think I might be as well. Uh, yeah, because I'm easily distracted by the people around me, say, in a concert hall or at a movie or something. And so... Uh, you know, to be able to be fully present and immersed in the, uh, you know, in, in the experience Maybe is sometimes you difficult. Judiciously choose to take someone with you who'd be really into it, and then the two of you are actively engaged in like, look, we're listening to something awesome. <laughs> yeah, and so you become your own your own world uh, within the, the the larger world. Um, what about expectations of perfection and people being a good use of time? Both yeah. of which seem like. Clear and obvious, but not so easy to uh, to actually live by. Well, letting go of expectations of perfection um, means that, it, it, you know, how we feel about our time is all about expectations. Uh, if you have 10 things on your to-do list and you do seven, you feel sad. If you had three things on your to-do list and you do five, you feel awesome. Like, you know, in one world you did seven, the other did you five, but you feel very different uh, based on, you know, Mm -hmm. on how productive you feel about these things. And it's all about your expectations. It has nothing to do with objectively what you did. Uh, And I think that's kind of the case when it comes to time. Um, So one of the things that I found most helpful and that other people have found most helpful in terms of feeling like you have time to do amazing big things is breaking them down into small steps, so small of steps that you feel no resistance to them whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you think of the example of like writing an 80,000 word book and you say you want to be done in a year, well, it seems like a very big project to take on an 80,000 word book. But, you know, you say, well, there's 50 weeks. I'm going to write 1600 words a week. That's uh, 400 words Monday through Thursday. I have 400 words. You've sent that many emails by 10 a.m., I'm pretty sure. Uh, So it's really nothing. Like it's not much at all. But you just take a small step and then you do it persistently day after day. We overestimate what we can do in the short run. We underestimate what we can do in the long run. But small steps done repeatedly add up to big things. Yes, they do. But uh, it requires that you have an understanding as to what that direction is and what that big thing is that you're pursuing, right? Yeah, which is a daring thing to do in life. But, uh, you know, it's your life. Try to be bold. So do you offer wisdom about that sort of fundamental question about values, vision, the kind of person you want to be, the kind of uh, leader you want to be in your family and the different parts of your life, the kind of world you want to create? Uh, Well, I think it's different for everyone, obviously. Um, And unfortunately, there's probably different visions of the world we wish to create. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. uh, that that is what it is. But, um, you know, often when people are coming to me, it's it sort of splits into different camps. 
you know, often what it is is people have this passion they want to pursue and they're just desperately trying to find the time. And so they're like, well, how could I find the time for this? I've got this busy life already. How do I carve out time for pursuing this passion of mine or the changes I want to make in the world? But I think other people haven't reached that point yet. They don't know what it is. And so it's hard right. to feel that you're spending time well when you don't know what you're trying to do with your time. Yes, but, it is. But this is still a question of how you spend your hours because then you can carve out hours to think about to it. To figure it out. To figure it out. To uh, undertake explore, experiment. the passion project, as it were, of figuring out what your passion is. Uh, you can you know, read things you might have t- written as a kid or look at old photos. You can talk to people who knew you at various stages of your life. Uh, you know, ha- Have these coffee dates with people where Ask them, you know, what am I good at? Like, what could mm-hmm. you see me doing? You know, when I'm at my best self, what am I doing? And mm-hmm. really spend some time thinking about it and trying different things. If you could, uh, in 30 seconds or so, tell us why your last big secret, uh, people are a good use of time. They are. Turned out that the people with the highest perception, time perception scores were the people who spent the most time actively engaged with friends and family. It, it really rose in direct correlation. The more time people spent engaged with friends and family, the higher their time perception was. Uh, various reasons for that. One is it feels good to spend time with people you love and who mm-hmm. energize you. Um, but it's also, again, the sense of autonomy. I am the kind of person who has the time to spend with people I love, and that makes me feel like I have more time. So, uh, Laura, let's let's go back to um, savoring because that seems to be something that uh, really anyone can do about just about anything that they find pleasurable in their lives. What are what are some of the things that people should keep in mind if they're wanting to expand the sense of time and and have a greater feeling of well both control but also enjoyment in the moments that they are engaging in things that they choose to do and, 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 and prevent themselves from becoming distracted by all the other bullshit that's on their minds. Yeah. Well, one of the first things you could do is, is really exercise that savoring muscle, uh, try to strengthen it. Um, there was an exercise I came across that was really good for this. Think about taking a daily vacation. Like if you're going to schedule something fun into your life for the next Five days, let's say. Yes. Um, what would you do? Like, think about it. Plan it in. Like, what small thing could you do? Like, fifteen minutes over the next week that uh, is was going to help you, you know, be more relaxed and enjoy life. And you know, plan it in um, so you can look forward to it. And then you would enjoy it in the moment, and then write about it afterwards, and then look forward to your next savoring event, your next daily vacation. Uh, and if you do this, you start to really feel aware of this good mm. time in in your life. So that's one thing because you can you're do. more conscious, more deliberate. Yeah, you're more, more conscious, more deliberate. The other thing you can do. So, can you give an example of some of the other things that you've heard about or that you've personally done that are uh, uh, occasions for savoring that that are small enough to fit in on a regular basis? That- well, maybe it's reading on the porch for 15 minutes uh, after your kids go to bed or something. Or maybe it's really enjoying a good cup of coffee, like sitting and listening to the rain for a few minutes while you're enjoying your cup of coffee um, before you're meeting anyone else's demands, but just lingering over it, using that word lingering. Mm-hmm. Um you know, people say playing music. Obviously, we've been talking about music. For some people, that could be a daily vacation that they plan in. Um, it could be ah, all kinds of things like that. Uh, you know, walking somewhere on your lunch break. Um, you know, just any, anything that would be enjoyable. 
So when you talk about uh, the idea of gaining a greater sense of freedom, what and, and you're speaking about this, uh, you know, in various venues and organizations. Uh, what what are the questions that people raise that um, you know uh, that that cause you to well step back and think yeah that's that's something I've heard before. Uh, what what's, what are the most common sorts of uh, issues or questions that people bring to you? Well, one frequent one is that, you know people are like well I'd I'd like to be relaxed I'd like to feel like time is more open but um, can you tell my boss to stop emailing me at ten o'clock at night or something like that you know that people expect an immediate response mm-hmm. um, to your emails and so consequently. They, uh, you know, you feel like you have to be plugged in all the time. And, you know, there's various things you can do about that. Uh, You can have conversations with your organization about Mm -hmm. what expectations are about communication. Um, A lot of managers have no idea that people are interpreting their odd hours emails to Mm -hmm. mean that they should respond instantly. Um, They're like, well, I just sent it at 10 o'clock because that seemed like the right time for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't really need a response. And so that's, again, a conversation people can have. And uh, maybe managers can learn to put stuff in the in the draft folder, um, send it out later. So as not to send that signal or or to say consciously to people, this is when I'm going to get this work done. I don't expect you to respond in the immediate. And uh, if you do and you don't want to, then that's a problem for me because I know that you're going to start to feel resentful and it's not going to work out for either one of us. Yeah. It's all about communication, right. uh, which and is, you know, it, email is communication, right? To, it's supposed to solve some of these problems, but it just didn't. It's created more. <laughs> Sometimes. Now, um, accountability for maintaining the discipline of uh, um, being conscious and deliberate about your choices of of, of where you invest your time and being able to reconstruct through various forms of reflection on the things that matter to you. What what advice do you have for how to build in that sort of accountability, that discipline? Well, for some people, it's about getting an accountability buddy. Um, that is something I've done in, in the past. Like you have somebody you check in with uh, every week or every couple of weeks or every day, depending on what you need. Uh, and you say, well, we're going to hold each other accountable for our goals. Um, you know, I do this, you do this. We'll check in with each other and make sure we, we did it. Um, so that's something that can work for people. Sometimes people just... You know, even just checking something off a list. I, I mean, I, I'm a. I love putting stuff on to do lists and checking them off. For some reason, that feels just incredibly motivating for me to see everything crossed off. So you have four kids. I do. And is Jasper your oldest? He is. He is my oldest kid. All right. He's a he's a, <laughs> he's formidable being a good young sport man. so far. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, and he's he's busy occupying the people in the sound booth by just being a very pleasant person. Thank you, Jasper. Four children. Uh, he's how old? Eleven. Eleven. How um, how does how do your children figure into all of this? Well, they do wind up figuring in, as you can <laughs> imagine. Um, and one of the reasons I track my time is is so I can see, like, am I doing stuff with my kids? Am I um, having fun with them? You know, doing fun family activities, or even just spending little bits of time with them here and there. Am mm-hmm. I spending one on one time with all four of them? Um, which is something I aim to do as often as I can. Yes, um, so important. It, difficult, but <laughs> but yeah. important. So you know, I. I 
set when I plan my weeks, I plan my weeks on Friday afternoon, look at the week ahead and I set my professional goals, but I also set relationship goals. Uh, and so that's often things with the kids um, or with my husband or with friends. Uh, you know, so those are setting relationship goals is one way to uh, really get into that idea of people being a good use of time. Right. Because when we actually make goals for what we do with other people, it becomes this intentional thing, um, just like work. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and yet it's fun, <laughs> which <laughs> not all goals for work are. Because um, sometimes you have to deal with assholes at work. Yeah, sometimes you do. Well, people at home sometimes can be as well. Uh, but um, it, it just gives that intentionality, which makes yes. it more likely to happen. Yeah, you have more control, right, over the people you choose in your non-work life, yeah. usually. Yeah, and so... So you, you plan for that. It's, it's again, being conscious, being aware. Um, got Jordan calling from Colorado. Hey, Jordan, welcome to Work and Life. Hey, guys. Conversation. I want to talk about Slack. So Slack, in our office at least, is a method for communication, communicating almost instantly. Mm -hmm. If you're on my office... Um, but if you want to get deep work done, you need some time you know, to block off and almost set boundaries with coworkers. Uh, what are some good ways to use Slack and um, also get deep work done? Great question. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah, well, I mean, something like Slack is incredibly useful for meaning that you're not having to constantly send emails to each other, which uh, is, um, you know, when you really just need a quick response to something, like you don't have to start a whole email chain. Uh, so, so it's a great productivity tool from that perspective. But as you're saying, yeah, it becomes this thing where people do expect immediate response. And if you're constantly looking at Slack, then you're not going to get anything else done because you're constantly looking at it. Um, and so one of the things you can do is, is sort of reach an agreement as an office because Slack is, again, usually used between, you know, for a team, like a small group of people who are working together quite a bit. Um, so you can sort of have an agreement of like, well, these are generally the times that we try to focus and do our deep work. And here's the other time where we're going to be always available to each other. Um, if that's hard to make happen... Focus Undistracted, undistracted and in communication yeah. with no one but my own thoughts no and one, my own ideas. No one but my own thoughts, my own ideas. So you, so you make agreements about boundaries. You make agreements about boundaries. Um, but, you know, if it's really hard to make that happen in your office, sometimes people will um, use some flexibility they might have to not come in um, right away. I've seen people do their deep work in like a coffee shop in um, the Waffle House in, uh, you know, wherever at home, if you can work at home. And, and so just by doing that, you remove yourself from the Slack stuff. Uh, and so when you come in, then you can be available for people. Uh, maybe it's that you come in a little bit early and you leave a little bit early too. But uh, mm -hmm. that morning time when people aren't there, you can use um, for your stuff. Thanks for calling, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Back to parents and uh, your partner. All right. So you're, you're married mm -hmm. and the two of you are, you know, you've got responsibility for raising four kids. So talk about how you work together as a, as a collective uh, in, in sharing responsibility and organizing your time so each of you and you together can do what you need to do uh, for, for your family and for yourselves. 
Yeah, well, there's a lot of logistics with four kids um, and with two parents who work. And in fact, both of us do a reasonable amount of travel for our work. So there's that added layer of complexity. I'm a big fan of what I call the calendar meeting. Uh, I don't know if my husband is quite as big a fan of the calendar meeting, but we try to have fun stuff coming out of it. Uh, Like we, we use that to also plan our date nights, for instance, or get concert tickets for something coming up. So um, it's not all business related. Um, But uh, yeah, look at what's coming up, our dates, like when each of us knows we're traveling for different things, if the kids have big stuff that we really want one of us to be there for. Um, So for instance, Jasper this summer uh, was in a theater camp and every other Thursday he had a um, play that he was performing in. Uh, And so both of us were, were doing a lot of travel this summer, but we managed to make out. So one of us would be there on the every other Thursday to get to the plays, but we managed to get to all of them. Um, so it was a little parenting win there. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's stuff like that. Like, it wouldn't have magically occurred to both of us to be home on that Thursday night that it was if we didn't know it was coming up and make sure, like, okay, it's really important that you not do that meeting that, like, if you can push people to Friday, that would be great because we really need that one, mm. that coverage on that Thursday. So you're negotiating. You're negotiating, you know? And and different times, people have more give than others. Um, you know, I am probably around more because I, I tend to work from home. and um, But on the other hand... When I'm traveling for work, my stuff is pretty set. You know, I'm speaking at some place that people are often there to hear me speak. Uh, there's not some substitute that somebody else can go mm-hmm. do it. So mm-hmm. um, whereas he might have the option for a colleague taking this meeting um, and him doing another one. So how often are you having these calendar meetings? Um Probably every other week. Um, sometimes we get away from it because we maybe don't have a ho- as much coming up, um, mm-hmm. and so then we're not. But you know, then we'll start be sending e- emails about like, wait, doesn't he have this? Doesn't this other kid have this? Wait, are you going here? And then we're like, wait, we, we just need to sit down and have this meeting and, and get this all squared away. And the purpose there is simply to plan, to understand what's coming up and what each of you needs to do. Um, are, there, are there other things that you do that help you to feel like you're – Really in it together uh, and and sh- and sharing responsibility, even if you know one is doing more in one part of life than others uh, than in the other part in many many partnerships uh, you 've got one member of the family who 's carrying a, a greater share of the of the parenting responsibility and and the other is carrying more of the income generating. Yeah. No, different families find different things that work for them. I mean, we try to do a lot of family activities together. Certainly our weekends, one choice we've made is to make sure all the kids' activities, um, as much as we possibly can make this happen, are in the mornings on weekends so that the afternoons and evenings are open so we can go do family activities, go on you know bike rides or hikes or go to – we just went to the – Cutstown County Fair. That was quite an experience. Uh, <laughs> right here. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, funnel cake and rides involved. Um, but you know, just having these sort of adventures as a family on weekends mm-hmm. uh, will help with that. And, you know, I, I probably I'm more of the planner in our family, which you know, is probably not a surprise to anyone listening to this. Uh, not surprised. Not surprised. <laughs> I, mean, I do this professionally. Of course, I'm going to be more into that. Mm-hmm. But I also try to recognize whenever I start feeling like, why am I the only person figuring out X, Y, or Z, that there's right. all sorts of things he does that I ha- don't do at all. And I, I keep a list of this to remind really? me of it. Like, I've, like what? I've What's, never what are the top cha- Well, I mean, I was thinking, I've never changed a light bulb in our house. Uh, that's sort of a stereotypical male thing. I've, I've actually never taken the kids to a kid movie. Uh, he likes movies. And so he's the one who 
gets stuck with you know Captain Underpants the movie, and I'm I'm perfectly happy to let him go take. Yeah, sounds take, like he might be as well. Take on that duty. Um, or, you know, even stuff like, you know, bringing things to the dry cleaners. I've never done that. Uh, he's he's always doing that. So, you know, there, there's various things that uh, we trade off on. But what's interesting, especially about what you just said here, we're going to have to wrap up in a minute, is um, that you are conscious of what he's doing that contributes to your collective responsibilities. And does he do the same? I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'd have to have him on here. To, the to, next conversation. The next we conversation to, to talk about that. No, well, you know, I'm also not shy about asking to be acknowledged about stuff. Like if I feel like I have done something that I would like. Um, so, for instance, real quick before I know we have to yes. wind up. But the fall activity schedule. I created the whole fall activity schedule for four kids, numerous activities, and who would be driving to what and when they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sitting there showing him the spreadsheet. And I said, I would like acknowledgement for this. And he was appropriately praiseworthy. Uh, <laughs> well, you made it easy. I made it easy. But just asking. like, this is right. a work of art, right? Like, this is a work of art. In, in 30 <laughs> seconds, a question I've been asking everyone on the show this year. How do you bring compassion to your working life? Um. You know, I screw up on stuff all the time. I've I've said things on the air that I've realized late, later were like hurtful to someone, which of course makes me feel horrible. Um, or written things on the blog, or um, I've missed things, both work and life. You know, people always talk about missing stuff in their life for work, but I've missed stuff in the work for for life. And you know, you, you just have to decide, like, well, that happened. Um, that is not the sum total of everything. I will get another chance tomorrow, and we'll try again. Forgiving. Forgiving yourself first. Yeah, well, we've got to be patient with ourselves. I mean, really, patience is about being generous with time. I try to be patient with other people. I try to be patient with myself. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, how can listeners find out more about Off the Clock and your other wonderful work? Well, you can come visit my website, lauravandercam.com. That's just my name. Um, if you're looking for more things to listen to, the Best of Both Worlds podcast uh, explores topics of work and life um, from the perspective of people who love both. Um, so we'd love to have people visit us there. Thanks again, Laura. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Laura Vanderkam and that you got some useful ideas from her about how you think about and use your most precious asset, you might say, and that is the time you have to dance on this beautiful earth. Well, all right then, here is a challenge for you. An invitation. Take a vacation. A daily vacation. A really short vacation. 15 to 20 minutes vacation for the next, I don't know, three to five days or a week. Doing something you enjoy. Could be a little adventurous. Something that you can do. You don't have to ask for a lot of permission for, or you can just make it happen that you would look forward to with some anticipation of excitement, maybe a sense of serenity that you would then do. Maybe it's going for a short walk around the block or simply having a cup of tea or reading a book or whatever it is, stretching. But to plan for it, uninterrupted by the demands of the rest of your life, and then to be able to look back on it and reconstruct what happened and how it felt. What happens when you do that? Does it shift your own sense of time 
Do you feel perhaps a bit less overwhelmed by the pressure surrounding you? Give that a shot and let me know what happens. What do you discover? You can write to me directly, friedman.wharton.upenn.edu or on Twitter, at Stu Friedman. And if you've got ideas about people you'd like to hear me speak with on the show, again, write to me directly, friedman.wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.